This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. I'm honored and privileged this morning to bring the word as well. As we've been traversing through this Esther story in the book of Esther, I get to bring uh, this morning's message, which is the last, the wrap-up message to, to her story, and uh, couldn't be more excited to jump in with you, but I figured the best thing to do uh, as we're hitting the last one is to look back at where we've been, and so again, we've been traversing through the story of Esther, and we're coming to this apex moment. Now, if you're, if you're opening up your Bibles and you're wondering where the book of Esther is, it's right after the book of Nehemiah and right before the book of Job. And so we are. We've been leading to this moment that's the apex moment, the height of the story. But again, before we get there, I want to give you a quick rehab. So back in week one, we learned, we learned about this guy named King Xerxes, or in Pastor Ron's own words, King Xerxes. Uh, <laughs> We learned about how much uh, this guy, how much rule and reign this guy had, but also how much into himself King Xerxes was. Uh, and so we, we looked at King Xerxes and found out that he ended up looking for a new queen. And then we learned about Esther and her, her cousin Mordecai. And Esther, as a Jew, is brought to King Xerxes' palace. And she keeps her nationality and her family background as a Jew secret from King Xerxes. She ends up winning King Xerxes' favor, and she's made queen. In enters the scene a guy named Haman, who is given a royal seat higher than anybody else in the king's kingdom. And so he becomes the top advisor for King Xerxes. And while he's there in that position, he gets into King Xerxes' ear about a little agenda he has. And he has a plot to kill all of the Jewish people in the kingdom, which would lead to the death of Mordecai and all of his people. So Esther and Mordecai, cousins, they start communicating back and forth, which leads to Mordecai asking Esther to essentially beg the king not to kill Jew the Jewish people. And so Esther finally agrees, and that is where the story left off, and that is where we're going to pick the story back up. And so we're going to jump into the book of Esther this morning, and if you're there, we're going to look at chapter 5 and start right at the beginning of that. So Esther 5, verses 1 through 2, and this is what it says. If you've got your Bibles in front of you, you know where it is, right at the beginning of chapter 5, otherwise you can follow along on the screens behind me as well. Esther 5, verses 1 and 2. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Now, I, I want to pause right there for the briefest of moments with you this morning to, to simply do this, to simply acknowledge the difference between an earthly king like Xerxes and our God. But this moment, to me, is such a representation of the dichotomy that exists between worldly rulers and God himself. You see, because as humans... 
I think we know this about ourselves. We, at times, we get twisted and influenced by this little thing called power. We get twisted and influenced by this thing called power. And so let's just stop and think about this for a second. If you were, if you were living in King Xerxes under his reign in his kingdom, you basically, if you, if you wish to approach him, you basically had to bow down and hope that he reached out to you with his 24-karat gold staff. And just in hopes that he invited you to have some little minute interaction with him. Man, and, and then this, when you think about this, if you're bowing down, waiting for this golden scepter to be outreached toward you, at that point, then you have to touch it and grab it just to, just to lift your head Look at him, gaze upon King Xerxes, and maybe have the briefest of interactions with him. How different that is from our God, who through Christ made it abundantly clear that we were to come follow him as we are and have a personal relationship with him. I think it's important to note the difference here, that the the invitation for interaction is always there for us when it comes to God. But the, invita- the invitation for interaction with King Xerxes is circumstantial. The story continues in, in chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. It says this, Then the king asked, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be given you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. So at this banquet, Esther, she almost, she almost teases King Xerxes at this first banquet by letting him know that she's actually prepared a second banquet for them the next day, and she'll share her request with him then at the second banquet. So again, the story picks back up, and, and Esther, we're going to jump ahead here. Esther chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Esther 6, 1 to 3, it says this. This is, this is after the first banquet, the night of the first banquet. That night, the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai, again Esther's cousin, had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this, the king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. So can you imagine this? Can you imagine sitting in bed at night and you can't sleep? Like you just can't fall asleep. And in order to get yourself maybe a little bit sleepy, you, you decide to call in your personal assistant who, who reads to you about how awesome you are. Like, that's what's happening here. I can literally imagine this song, like, you're so vain, playing in the background. King Xerxes, though, he realizes that nothing has been done, right? He's reading, he's, he's listening to the records of his, reign, of his reign being read back to him, and he realizes that nothing has been done to lift up Mordecai and say, hey, thanks for saving me. He realizes that nothing's been done for Mordecai. And essentially saving the king's life. And so the king decides to ask Haman, his top advisor, 
how he should celebrate a man he wants to honor. And this is Haman's response in Esther 6, verses 7 to 9. So he answered the king. So he, Haman, answered the king. For the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. And so at this point, we find out that Haman thinks King Xerxes wants to honor him. And so he's thinking, well, what would I have the king do for me, to honor me in front of the entire city? And he comes up with this idea. Yet he has no idea in the moment that the king actually plans to honor Mordecai, the exact man that Haman wants dead. And so the tables start to turn on Haman as, as Mordecai is now set to be honored. And just when, just when things seem disappointing enough for Haman, Esther's second banquet approaches. And during this banquet, once again, the king asks Esther in chapter 7, verses 2 to 4. The king says this, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, this is Esther's response, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. And so in this moment, all of a sudden, Esther, it's as, it's as though she puts all of her cards on the table and she reveals to the king that she herself is actually Jewish and her and her people are a part of this decree to have the Jewish people in the kingdom wiped out. And so she finally reveals her hand to King Xerxes, and King Xerxes ends up responding by striking down the decree that would have killed the Jews, and instead gives the Jews the right to protect their people. And so this, this leads to the death of Haman and to those who stood against the Jews, but it leads to life and safety for the Jewish people. And Pastor Ron, throughout this series, he's, he's set this this story up well as he's basically described and said, hey, listen, the, the book of Esther, it is, it's not an easy one to read through. The story of Esther is not an easy, light read. It's intense. There are moments that don't feel PG, am I right? There are moments that feel like they're rated R, and there's all this different stuff going on that just seems really, really heavy, and it's true because it is, it's intense, the story of Esther is, to me, it's, it's, it's rich. It's rich with many themes. But it's also worth noting the importance of, of historical context at the time in Scripture. 
You see, the, the book of Esther, you may or may not know this as we've read through this, the book of Esther, it doesn't even mention God in it. But that doesn't mean that it, it doesn't reveal things about who God is through its storytelling. And so for me personally, as, we, as we've been traversing through this series together, and as, as I've read this story over and over and over, and especially as I've read the ending of Esther's story here with King Xerxes, I can't help but focus on one big idea, and that's this, that Esther stands before the king of her world and fights for God's cause. That in this story, Esther stands before the king, knowing what kind of guy the king is, and fights for what she believes is God's cause. You see, this stands out to me about Esther's story because when faced with the pressure of representing her people in front of King Xerxes, who you found out is probably a pretty intimidating king, Esther doesn't shrink in the moment. Esther digs deep. And she believes in her purpose in that moment, which, which ultimately carries out God's cause for the Jewish people. A cause that lifts up the Jews, which we're familiar with because this cause goes all the way back to the story of Moses in the book of Exodus. And so for me, this idea that Esther decides knowingly that this king could just smite her in this moment, that she still stands before the king of her world and stands and fights for the cause of God, it brings me to a couple of questions. And these questions, I believe, they're relevant to us today, even though our culture is clearly drastically different than the culture of this time. And so here's a couple of those questions that, that stick out to me as I read the story of Esther. What things have I allowed to become kings of my world, and are they worthy? What things have I allowed to become kings of my world? And are they even worthy of such a title? I believe this question is important because it informs another question I'm going to ask in just a little bit. And, but I want to start off with this. Like we've, we've all got them, don't we? We've all got these things that become kings. We've all got these things that we've allowed to rule our every day that we never intended to allow to rule our every day? What things do I find myself bowing down to instead of taking the reins and dictating for myself what role they play in my life? And as I was thinking, as I was asking myself this question, I couldn't help but think about our culture and some of the prominent things in our culture. And so I'm gonna hit you this morning with a few of those things that stick out to me. Is it something, they, they may sound trivial, but is it something like our cell phone? Track, track with me on this. According to a 2019 survey, the age group that ends up being the most common first-time phone owners are 11 to 12-year-olds. So from a really, really early age, cell phones start to rule our world. Have you, ever, have you ever seen yourself or watched yourself become a victim of just mindless, endless scrolling? Is your phone the first thing that you grab when you wake up in the morning and the last thing you look at before you go to sleep? 
You see, because if we're not careful, these things that we're supposed to simplify our lives actually make them more complicated and complex. They actually start to rule our lives and our worlds in a way that I don't think we ever meant for them to. And social media is a big part of this, isn't it? Do we get wrapped up? Do we, just get, do we find ourselves getting wrapped up more in living a surrogate online life than we do in living the real ones that we've been given? We, we live in this thing called the age of technology, but at what point does technology stop working for us and we're working for it? Listen, I know this all sounds extreme, but I believe it's relevant. As I, as I read this story about kings and the role of a king in the life of Esther, I believe it's relevant. And here's the proof. I, I did this, this topic of even about technology or phones. I believe that this, is, that this is relevant because there's proof to it. I did just a little bit of research, and I found many studies with many facts on this topic. And I'll throw some stats your way. So here's a couple of stats that I just find interesting. The average smartphone user checks their phone 63 times a day. That actually even to me, while it sounds like a lot, it actually sounds maybe even low. But 63 times a day. How about this one? Americans spend an average of five and a half hours on their phone every day. Five and a half hours. We already say we don't have enough hours in the day. Subtract five and a half, five and a half hours you're looking at 18 or 19 hours in a day. Like your day just got shorter. What about this one? This goes along with the social media aspect. The average smartphone user spends two and a half hours a day on social media. Those stats are eye-opening, aren't they? But speaking of eye-opening, if you, if you want to find out how much time you're spending on your phone per day, you actually can easily find this out by going into your settings in your phone and looking at your digital well-being if you're an Android user or looking at the screen time app in your settings if you're an iPhone user. I promise you, it will rock your world. So I don't know, maybe, maybe this is just one example, but maybe we've made these things called cell phones, one of those kings of our world that isn't worthy. Or I don't know, maybe it's something like your job. Do you find yourself giving more and more of yourself to your job and less and less of yourself to other important things in life? Do you, find that, do you find that you allow your job to define who you are as a person, your value, your impact on the world around you? What kind of things do you allow your job to take precedence over? Now, I get it. I get it. For a lot of us, our jobs provide our family's source of income, security, and well-being. And so I'm not calling our jobs or our, our cell phones bad or totally bad, or totally evil, or anything like that. I'm just wondering if we have gotten to a place in our lives where we allow them to have greater authority in our lives than they're supposed to have. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's this. Maybe, maybe something you've allowed to become your king is your time. Maybe it's your time. What do you give your time to? Again, uh, a lot of us in here would say that we're busy, right? And that we're really busy. Or maybe we'd even say that we're too busy. 
and that we don't have enough time. But what are we giving our time to? What are we giving our time to? Is it, is any of our time being used to further our relationship with Jesus or, or to represent his name through how we care for others or, or lead our families in a, in a fervent pursuit of him? Have we given substantial amount of time over to, to false kings in our lives instead of being generous with our time spent with and for Jesus. I mean, this is a humbling thing to me. As I read through the book of Esther, it was extremely humbling to me because I, I cannot help but reflect and go, man, Esther had the courage and the bravery to stand up against the kings of her world for God's cause in her life. Man, I think back to moments in my own life where I've maybe fallen short or I haven't quite reached the bar of, of going, God, you're the king of my life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop bowing down to these other things. I'm gonna stop bowing down to these other things that aren't worthy of my time. Man, I, I'm reminded even of, of a story from when I was on a, I was on a mission trip this is when I was uh, this is when I was first in ministry, and I was on a mission trip to uh, the state of North Carolina, and we had a group of students with us there who were, man, who were just diving in that week to really new experiences that they'd never done before, and and I remember one of these students, I just sensed God was doing something in throughout that week. He was just working powerfully in. And I didn't know exactly what that looked like, but as the week went on, the students started to open up more and more and more and more about some of the things that they were just allowing to just take precedence and take hold of them in their lives until we got to the very end of the week. And we had this moment where we had an opportunity as a group to say, God, here's this thing that I don't want to allow to be a king in my life anymore. And I wanna give myself over to you completely and totally. And, and this student pulled me off to the side and they reached into their back pocket and they, and they handed me this, this thing. It was nighttime. I could hardly see what it was. And I, I said, what did, I couldn't see. I had no light. I said, what is this, man? And, and he hands over a, a device for smoking. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and he just simply says to me, listen, I, I've allowed this thing to become the king of my life when it doesn't deserve to be. It's not worthy of being that. I look back at that story as I read the story of Esther even, and I say, man, are we allowing kings to rule our lives in a way that it's changing us for the worse? And I ask myself this next question, when I think about Esther's bravery to represent her people to King Xerxes, what kings of this world Am I willing to stand up against for God's cause? See, once we've, once we've recognized that we've got these things, once we've recognized what things we're giving kingship to in our lives, we must figure out how to stand up against them in favor of God's kingship in our lives. It's hard not to get wrapped up in our world at times, but I constantly have to remind myself that I'm going to leave this world with the same thing that I came into it with, my umbilical cord. My mom 
kept mine and saved it. That's a joke, people. Please know that. <laughs> I, want you, I want you to breathe a little bit. That's just a joke. But we come into this world with the same thing. We leave this world with the same thing we came into it with, right? Nothing. I believe that King Xerxes, even in this story, at some point in his life, right, he had to come to that moment of recognizing and realizing that even he, with all the things he had, with all the things that he'd made kings in his life, even he had to come to the realization that I'm leaving this world with the same thing I came into it with, nothing. None of this stuff goes with me. I believe this. I truly believe this church. The the only thing worthy of kingship in life is God. His cause, his goodness, his timing, his power, his will, his grace, his, his understanding, his plan, his purpose, his direction, his love, that's what's worthy of kingship in our lives. Man, there's other important things that get to ride along the story with us, I believe, and experience God's, God's kingship with us. See, I believe this. If we're, if we're not living for him, then we are living for something else. Are we like Haman? living for our own self-seeking and self-propelling ways? Are we, are we like King Xerxes, living for some inflated, self-aggrandizing purpose? Or, or are we selflessly deflecting fake kings to carry the cause of the one true king who created us for a moment such as this? And so that's my prayer this morning, church, as we're in this family service here together this morning and kids are with us. That's my, that's my prayer this morning. I want to wrap up because I want to give us an opportunity to continue to worship the one true king together this morning. And in, in light of what we've read and understood and processed out of the book of Esther, that's my prayer this morning, church, that we would stand against false kings. We would pick up our cross and carry it into the purpose God has put before us. Will you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Father God, I'm, uh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that, you, that you're a king that just so far surpasses any other kings we've tried to make up in our lives, God. Whether it's these small things that we've inflated into these big things or it's these big things that we've just blown up to be even bigger and we end up finding ourselves in a place where we're chasing after something in life that doesn't actually fulfill us. God, we're telling ourselves that there's these things in our lives that are are worthy of being kings and we somehow diminish your role in our lives. God, my prayer this morning is that we would run far from that. That God, like Esther, that we would stand up God, that, that through, through prayer and preparation, God, we would stand up and fight against those fake kings because we realize you've called us to something greater. God, that you've got a greater cause for us. And so God, we do, we give of ourselves. It's a, it's a humbling, God, you know this, it's a, it's a humbling experience. God, to reflect, to look in the mirror and go, gosh, what am I, what am I missing the boat on here?
What am I giving my, too much of myself to that the God that is, is just defiling what you've got for me? So God, that's my prayer this morning. That we'd, we'd stand up with boldness, with bravery, with confidence and courage and say, God, you're the only king. You're the only king worthy. You're the only king worthy of my time. God, you're the only king worthy of my praise. God, you're the only king worthy of following and chasing after fervently with my family. And so God, we worship and praise you in that, recognizing that when we do that, when we give ourselves over totally and completely to you, God, your cause reveals itself in a way that changes everything. God, would you continue to change us this morning as we praise and worship you in the name of Jesus. It's in that name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide.